0: This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast.
1: This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, April 21st, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only. I'm working from my home in Montana. Uh, Sarah Abbott's working from her home in the bristol connecticut area taylor schwink is working from the schwink studios uh this weekend uh guys i'll be doing a game on espn radio on saturday with roxy bernstein i got that call that email last night i'm being called in from the bullpen kind of excited about that
0: you are a big radio guy at heart i know you like doing them on the radio so this is exciting and with our pal roxy what could be better than that now,
1: it's going to be fun. I got the email last night. The Giants are doing special catering for the broadcasters, which I'm really fired up about. But yeah, radio is in my heart because that's what I grew up with. And, you know, th- there's always an adjustment in whatever medium you're doing. But I think the pace of radio has been the easiest transition for me. So I'm fired up to do that. I mentioned on Sunday Night Baseball this week, we've got the Mets, we've got the Giants. We'll be talking with Carl Ravich about all that coming up. And we'll be talking about the return of Fernando Tatis Jr., which happened on Thursday in Arizona before the game. Here's Fernando talking about what it feels like to be back.
2: I feel like there was a lot of people out there. You know, as a family. There's a lot of guys that were reaching out. Uh, giving positive um, mindset, positive thoughts, uh, positive how to came out, um, positive situation. And, uh, you know, if I start saying name my name finish, I I won't finish today. But, you know, I feel like all of them know I'm really grateful for for them being on on those time. And uh, hopefully they enjoy because I'm going to get the best of myself right now.
1: And he sounds a little bit nervous, that's for sure, as he comes back. Uh, it was a crazy game. The Padres took a 5 0 lead in this game. Xander Bogarts hit an early home run. And then the Diamondbacks came storming back. And then the Padres retook the lead. Well, late in the game, this happened. To right field on the move is Tatis. And Fernando will wow. run it down. Fernando Tatis Jr. on the run makes the grab. And that jumps into the wall. Friar Faithful love it in Arizona. That was Don Arcillo on the Padres television network. Yeah, we've talked so much about his power, his speed. We haven't really talked about his defense. He's such a great athlete. I think he's going to be an impact right fielder for San Diego. They win that game 8-6. Uh, to six. Meanwhile, the Pirates are going off. In the bottom of the first inning, they had two home runs.
3: Second and third, two outs. Three and two on Connor Joe. Weaver delivers. Swinging a high fly ball. Left of center and deep. Senzel back on it. There it goes! That ball flew out of here. Platter Joe with a three run home run. And the Pirates brought their bats back with them from the Rockies. They're up 3 0 in the first inning. Sowinski sends one to deep right field. This should clear the seats. Oh, the very back row—he's homered again. Move over, lumber company. These twenty-three
1: bucks are having some fun. And they are having some fun. Those calls, of course, from Pirates uh, television, radio networks, uh, and I love after—I think it was the the second home run. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon was in the Pirates dugout and they brought out the sword and he pretended like he was slashed in the face. It was uh, pretty funny if you found that video, although as I described it right then, maybe it didn't, it was as fun as it sounded. Pirates hang on to win this game over Cincinnati four to three. A lot of big news on Thursday. Madison Bumgarner, the author's perhaps the greatest postseason performance of all time in 2014, was designated for assignment by the Diamondbacks yesterday. Arizona. Uh, their standards have been risen, uh, ha- have climbed this year. And Bumgarner with an ERA over 10. We'll talk about where he could land uh, when we speak with Carl Ravage. Matt Scherzer suspended 10 games after he was ejected for a sticky substance violation uh, on his hand in Wednesday's game in LA. We'll be hearing from Max later in the podcast. After that news came down, the Mets played the Giants, and Pete Alonso had himself a night. Not going, and
3: Pete drives one, deep left field. Back goes Wade, near the wall, and it's out of here! Pete he Alonzo in the line drive, two-run homer, number nine for Alonzo to put the Mets up two-nothing.
1: Swing a ground ball towards shortstop Crawford can't get there and it rolls into left center field. Canna scores. Here comes Lindor. The throw is on its way to the plate. It's up the third base line and it gets away. Alonzo goes to second. It's a two-run single for Pete Alonzo, and the Mets add on two more. It's eight to four, New York in the seventh. And they would win nine to four. The Mets have won seven of eight, including six of the first seven on their ten-game West Coast trip. Pete Alonzo. 19 RBI in his first 20 games. Uh, you hate to see this, and the Angels lost to the Yankees on Thursday. Logan Ahapi, who we've talked about with Paul Mbikides, uh, had to come out of the game, intense left shoulder pain after having a swing, his quote to reporters after the game. I felt it pop, come out the back, and we'll be reevaluated the next couple of days. Let's hope it's nothing serious. Yeah, it looks like a shoulder subluxation to me having seen that in the past. And for hitters, that can be a really dicey situation. The Dodgers and the Cubs played in Wrigley Field yesterday. Mookie Betts started at shortstop for the Dodgers. This is what happened at the bottom of the eighth. There's
0: a chopper. Betts has it. Steps on the back. Throws the first double play. Oh, my. Mookie Betts, his first play at shortstop in 10 years, takes a ground ball, steps on the back, throws in the air jumping and throwing at the same time and getting Wisdom a double play.
1: Charlie Steiner, AM570 LA Sports. Yeah, Mookie Betts, one of the best athletes in sports, returning position he played for years. Probably not as big of a deal as we're making about it. But it did keep the score at 2-all. Top of the ninth inning, Dodgers had the bases loaded.
0: Fly ball, right field. Suzuki going back, way back, and it's gone! with a grand slam home run off Michael Fulmer. Oh, my!
1: The Dodgers win that game 6-2, to two. and we got great news about White Sox pitcher Liam Hendricks. You remember on April 5th, he played some sound of him ringing the bell as he got out of cancer treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Liam posted to Instagram yesterday, it's official, I'm cancer-free. So Taylor,
0: great news there. Indeed, Buster, great news all around. Um, a couple things to promote on the heels of that, the Hoop Collective, I'm sure they're going to have an episode out today, recapping last night's NBA playoff action and setting up the weekend. Um, Also, The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, a lot of draft talk on there. Draft is next week on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Radio. Check that out, The Mina Kime Show and The Hoop Collective, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now.
1: We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. According to a recent Indeed survey, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com/buster. Just go to indeed.com/buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call one 800 DirecTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package.
0: All aboard! It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravi on Baseball Tonight.
1: Carl Ravi, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, and this week, Rabby, the Ravi Train will be in San Francisco for Sunday Night Baseball, where we'll have the Mets and the Giants. And man, do we have anything to talk about today? I mean, can we find <laughs> something
2: to talk about today?
3: <laughs> I will be honest, Buster. It's been a season of things to talk about, given rule changes, etc., applications of rule changes, but. It's been an interesting start, hasn't it? I mean, it's been about as interesting a start to a season as as we've had, perhaps since I've been covering it, just based on storylines and and the obviously of the monumental change we had. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, there's a couple of items we should get to. I think there's a Scherzer story out there. There's an A's moving. There's just a lot of stuff going on.
1: There's a lot of stuff. And and by the way, later in the podcast, we're going to hear from Sarah Langs. She's going to give us an update on some of the rule change numbers, which I think are doing exactly what Major League Baseball wanted. Uh, They did not necessarily want Max Scherzer to be caught the other day with sticky stuff on his hands. They didn't necessarily want him to be injected. They didn't necessarily want him to be suspended. But that's where we are. Uh, and it was interesting last night, Carl, that that Max, who, as you know, is as much of a fighter as anybody, his agent Scott Boris, as much of a fighter as anybody, in the end, Max wound up accepting accepting the ten game suspension. Uh, here was Max Scherzer and Buck Showalter, his manager, talking about the suspension.
2: For me, uh, I just I hope that uh, we can modify the rule. Um, you know, we want the, the intent of this rule was try to clean up the game of clean up the you know, stuff that was really causing spin rates to spike and all that stuff. Uh, I don't think it was intended to, you know, crack down on pitchers that were using legal substances. Um, I used legal substances. I did it, you know, I did it. Um, You know, for me, I wish there was a modification to uh, bring spin rates into play, uh, to be able to let that be the threshold uh, of when the umpire can check. I still don't understand how, I'm deemed cheating or, you know, guilty of that.
4: Nothing unexpected, you know, pretty much standard from uh, from history. Meaning we're comfortable with what went down and what happened and where where there was, uh, you know, lack of guilt. Good, good. Max is always good. He's always competing. You know, certain snapshots I'll take out of yesterday. <laughs> One is uh, him being the front of the line when he came off the field. You know, he uh, he loved what his teammates did behind him.
1: So uh, Max Scherzer will be suspended. We'll not have him pitching on Sunday Night Baseball. That was kind of our dream when he had that shortened uh, outing the other day, Carl. But first off, and, and I did I did want to ask you about Max's call for modifications of these rules, not only with the, uh, the sticky stuff, but also the other day when he talked about modifications on the pitch clock rules. And the problem is, and, you know, if Max was here, I'd love to hear his perspective on it. Maybe I'll see him over the weekend and ask him about it. Problem is, how do you get modifications on these rules? I mean, it feels like that uh, that that go- takes baseball down a slippery slope, and this is part of what the umpires were speaking to the other day. Bottom line is, his hands were really sticky, courting the umpires who enforce this rule.
3: Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think the modification part of all of it um, is, and we've heard this from other pitchers too with regards to the pitch clock, instead of 15, can we modify it to 18? It's not a question of do we have flexibility in it? It's can we modify them? Can we just rewrite them so that it's 18 seconds uh, instead of 15 seconds? So I think when he says modification, he wants to kind of rewrite them or just move the needle, but don't, don't give any gray area. And I think some people interpret modification as gray, where there is a lot of Gray is in this use of rosin Uh, if you you know Buck is as great a spin master as anybody he immediately went off of the this isn't about rosin and boy Max was terrific in front of the line and there to congratulate us after we played during some of that adversity you know in Max's case I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy in which something is legal until it's not and one of the things certainly would be somebody's use of alcohol If, if you have, you you know, you exceed a certain limit and then you're over the limit of being able to drive without being impaired. So Rosin is legal and it seems like what baseball was saying up to a point and he exceeded that point. Nowhere apparently is it written what that point is. I know I've seen some reference to a major league baseball saying that, you know, an excessive amount Uh, puts you into this area where we have the right as a major league baseball to say you overstepped. And I think that's clearly where we're at. And look, if anybody's going to push the envelope and challenge, it's likely going to be max. He did it as soon as the pitch clock was brought into play at the major league level. I mean, remember, you know, he was the one that was acknowledging, I dictate entirely the pace of an at bat. I am in charge. And here he wants to, be in charge of the use of rosin. And I'm sure in his world, and it may be accurate, nowhere does it say how much rosin I can use. I'm using what's legal. And I think baseball is saying, yes, but you went over the limit.
1: And I'd say this, Carl, after what we saw with Domingo Herman last weekend and what we saw with Max this weekend, enough with the personal rosin bags. Yeah, that's a challenge. Put the rosin bags out on the mound. If yep. pitchers want to use the rosin, then great. They can do it out in front of everybody. Yep. But the idea that like there's this personal stash of rosin back yep. in the clubhouse, that again, puts the pitchers, puts baseball in a slippery slope in my opinion.
3: Yeah. I don't know why there is a personal rosin bag. Um, you know, it's, it's the uniform rosin bag. There's, that was a big part of this deal was we dropped one, you know, out on the mound and that's the one that you use. Look, Buster. This is this is baseball's age-old challenge of player trying to bend the rules, not break them, but bend them to the degree that they can. Uh, Obviously, we've had a whole bunch of other issues in baseball where you've exceeded it so greatly that players have been suspended, thrown out, banned, et cetera, et cetera. This is not one of those, but it's another example where the player is trying to, within the rules, bend them as far as they possibly can. Yeah. To gain an advantage.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, as I say, I'm looking forward to seeing Max this weekend and, and have a conversation with him about all that. Uh, we will be in San Francisco for the, the Giants and the Mets. Pete Alonso is going off early this yep. year. <laughs> Nine homers in the first 20 games. He's got 19 RBI. He's got an adjusted OPS of one hundred and seventy seven. Uh, and it's fascinating because he was one of the guys as we started down the, the pitch clock road in spring training, where you heard, you know what, it's going to be an adjustment for him. He talked about that on our, our exhibition broadcast that we had. And uh, I think on the first week of March, he clearly has adapted now and he, he seems like he's figured out that sweet spot. Carl.
3: Yeah. In a lot of ways, look, we saw Pete in spring, as you said, Hey, he's in better shape. Um, mentally he's in a decent place although it is interesting given the amount of money that's been given out to athletes you thought perhaps they would extend a a large cash starved person some olive branch with money all over it they didn't do that yet he's as good a power hitter as there is in the game and home run derbies aside which he obviously owns as you like to say that's his event uh he's as good a power hitter as there is in baseball all you know he has been since his rookie year And overshadowed by Aaron Judge last year. What Judge did? Maybe Alonzo breaks a record this year. Um, You know, he said the same thing that Max Scherzer said about dictating pace. He believes he dictates the pace now of every at-bat. He believes that by not chasing like he once did, he's in charge. So if you take a guy that has all that ability, put him in the batter's box and allow him to feel like I own this. I'm in charge. It's not going to be dictated by anybody else. Uh, You now narrow this strike zone, and every ball that's in that zone, he's smashing, and he's smashing them all over the field and last night, again, over the left field wall. So you've got an incredibly confident guy who's in really good shape, who has improved his ability to be selective at the play. It's a very great combination for the Mets and a lousy combination for opposing pitchers.
1: You know, we spent a lot of last year talking about Aaron, Aaron judge bet on himself. We haven't really talked about how yes. Pete Alonso has bet on himself. We know that Steve Cohen, the Mets owner has a lot of money. We know that, uh, you know, Pete's in a position where he's beginning to near free agency. Uh, and they couldn't strike a deal in spring training. He doesn't have a long-term contract. Obviously there was a gap between what Pete wanted and what the Mets were offering and here's Pete backing it up, Carl.
3: Yeah, yeah. He look. He's uh, he's in it. It's an interesting one, only because Buster that, that the elephant in every Major League clubhouse's front office room is going to be Shohei Otani, and I'm not sure. I have no no conversations with anybody to wonder if perhaps they look at Pete as somebody who may eventually be a designated hitter, even though he's become a very good first baseman. And if you're saying that Steve Cohen's in a position to decide between Otani and Alonso, maybe that's why there hasn't been, you know, any, any significant enough offer to make Pete Alonso say, I don't need a bet on myself. I, I just won because of this contract I've been offered. That's all speculation, but for sure, you would think that the Mets would be a team that's interested in Shohei Otani and perhaps Alonso's the guy that would be most impacted by that.
1: Right. And whatever, uh, you know, whatever term deal he gets, part of that deal, the team will be betting, whether it's the Mets or another team, that uh, some of those years are going to be as a DH. And as you know, it's been harder for those guys, the DH first baseman to get as big a contracts as with other, uh, as at other positions. So that, that'll be one to watch, but Pete's off to an absolutely a great start. Any early thoughts on the Giants? Because for me, uh, it, it's, it has to be frustrating if you're in the Giants front office because you essentially wanted tractions on two items. One, you wanted a star player. I thought Eduardo Perez, you know, our colleague, framed it best last year when he said, whose jersey among the Giants players is a little kid buying? They clearly right. need that type of star. They went for it in the offseason, going after Aaron Judge, going after Carlos Correa, landing neither. And the other thing we kept on hearing from Gabe Kapler over and over and over again last year, look, we have to improve our defense. And in the infield, that hasn't happened. Those are two items that the the Giants had on their to-do list last year. They couldn't get it done.
3: Yeah. Larry Bear, who runs the Giants, came into our booth last year and said, this is a star's game. He acknowledged it. This is a superstar game. San Francisco knows it better than anybody as they had the biggest superstar for many years in Barry Bonds and baseball. And they went out and tried to get him and didn't get him. So they, they failed that way. And I know they'll spend it, That we spent a lot of money. I think they gave five guys each $25 million or more. I mean, there's ways that they can suggest we try to upgrade the team. But if stars and superstars were your bar, you didn't reach it. Um, secondly, the Giants, to me, Buster, remind me a lot of the Red Sox. In the division they play in, they're not as good as the teams at the top. Uh, they, right. don't have the, they don't have the superstar players. They'll grind the hell out of every at-bat. They'll fight every game. They play hard but if you just were being honest with yourself and looked at the skill level they are not close to the Dodgers they are not close to the Padres the Red Sox are not really close to the Blue Jays to the Yankees to the Rays they're not doesn't mean that they can't win games doesn't mean that they that they can't fight for a playoff spot if things go well Giants have had some injuries to some of their bats that they uh, that they acquired they haven't been playing yet this year that's that's part of it But that's where I am on the Giants, Um, a grinded team that has to win that way instead of with, as you said, Correa or Judge or superstar players. And their pitching is pretty good when it's healthy.
1: One of the superstars in the Giants history is Madison Bumgarner because he's arguably the greatest postseason player of all time. The 2014 season uh, postseason, I don't think without a doubt, was the greatest postseason we've seen from any individual player. He's designated for assignment yesterday by the Diamondbacks that's not a surprise got an ERA over 10 at this point uh it, 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 for the from the Diamondbacks perspective this contract has been a disaster 5 years 85 million dollars they wind up eating 34 of it in the end assuming that no team uh picks him up on waivers look you, you forget because Madison had such incredible success at a young age this guy is 33 years old right. right it's not like he's 38 years old and I saw on yesterday, a lot of speculation, boy, is this the end of the road from Bumgarner? I'm not buying that for a couple of reasons. One, I know how competitive he is. I do think he's going to take a break, but eventually he'll come back and he'll try to pitch. And if you look at his average fastball velocity, uh, it's right in line with where Clayton Kershaw is. It's not like the guys throwing 82 miles an hour. I think there are adjustments more to make. I'm not smart enough to know what those are, and I would be shocked. Absolutely shocked if somehow he doesn't wind up with the Rangers for his former manager, Bruce Bochi, because there's a ton of trust there. Bochy, yeah. I think, might be the the manager who's best suited to to uh, give him some hard truths. Look, this is the adjustment you need to make. You need to stop being so stubborn. And it wouldn't shock me if Bumgarner winds up coming back, maybe not as a starter, but as a, a great guy out of the bullpen with a lot of experience, a lot of weapons. What do you think about Bumgarner?
3: I, I think the Texas thing has a lot of uh logic to it for sure. I think Bochi would be the guy that would tell him, look, it hasn't been good. Uh we we're gonna you wanna come here? We got a great pitching coach. The difference between Clayton Kershaw and Bumgarner is while their fastball velocity is the same, those secondary pitches aren't close. I mean, we saw the yeah. other night, you know, Kershaw's curveball is still unbelievable. You know, that slider is unbelievable. Bumgarner doesn't have any of those. And could he become that guy? Sure. I think it was you who, who said in a meeting of ours, you know, or, or maybe when we were on a Sunday night game, and it's amazing that he hasn't made an adjustment like Tom Glavin did, you know, be able to to do something other than just throw the ball hard. And I'm sure he's tried. It's not for lack of effort. I mean, he knows that. One-pitch pit, one tr- ponies don't work in Major League Baseball. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that he will take time off. And I think the other part of it is the fact that the Diamondbacks are willing to swallow that money to say to their team, we we like the direction we're going in. we're not going to stop it or or sort of let this deter where we're going. we're making a statement to the young players on this team that like to get out and run around the bases and cause all sorts of problems, we're with you. i think that's i think that's a big part of it from the diamondbacks organization perspective.
1: You, and you led perfectly into my next topic which is these great group of surprise teams in baseball. The the Diamondbacks are clearly one of those. And I'm with you. I love the fact that Arizona is willing to eat that kind of money because, look, their bar has changed. They may have lived with Bumgarner struggling in the past, but they're trying to win. Mike Hazen, head of baseball ops, he's trying to win. So they jettison Bumgarner. They have better options in the rotation. The Pirates are playing great. The Brewers are playing great. The Chicago Cubs are playing great. Among those teams, which one is real in your eyes? Most real, I should say.
3: Yeah. I have a feeling it's the Brewers. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's almost odd and it's almost, it's an insult in some ways to lump them in with the Cubs and the Pirates because the Cubs and Pirates have been down for a while. The Brewers are not down, like they never are down. It's the beauty of the Brewers is they're consistently strong. and They're solid. like Tampa
1: Bay. They're the national league's version exactly. of Tampa Bay. Every yeah, year they're exactly. competitive. Exactly.
3: exactly. And they pitch really well and they do have big names on that team. So, if I'm buying one of them, I'm gonna buy them, um, you know. And, and just think, the Pirates don't have their their best player in a lot of ways, and Cruz. How how different it might be, and and you maybe start to think, wow, you know, if Ben Sherrington can add a few things here, maybe the Pirates are are gonna be a consistently good team this year. The Cub story, you know, we went into the season, and when you were asked about a couple of teams, one in each league, that could surprise you the Cubs were at the top of many people's list in the national league because the experiment of bringing in all these better defensive players who have upside and shown upside offensively are delivering, you know, they are showing some of those flashes of that offensive upside and it's working really well. And wisdom, excuse me, looks like he's, he's, he's something it's good to watch. Um, But it's the Brewers to me. That's the one that, I think has the the long shelf life in it. But look, And by the same token, you can look at the standings and say, well, what's, what's going on with the Cardinals? That like, that's, a, what, that's weird. There's a bunch of teams that are underperforming as well.
1: Yeah. I remember talking to Ben Carrington early last year and he was talking, you could feel that because Ben is so understated as a person. And yet you could feel his uh, the building happiness he had with what they, he saw in the future. Cause he knows those young players better than we do uh last year to me the Orioles might have been the most fun team to watch like they led the the league in the fun meter this year it's the Pirates like their Mm -hmm. games are fun to watch those guys with Andrew McCutcheon being in the centerpiece man they are an absolute blast to watch on the other hand the Oakland Athletics are a complete disaster tell me this is not like the the movie Major League reprised with the way this is played out run the team into the ground and in, in an effort to move them
3: out Hard not to see that analogy. I know our buddy Justin Havens tweeted that same thing out yesterday. Um, it's impossible not to see it. Look, let, let's end the nightmare because it's a nightmare. And you feel bad for the Oakland A's fans. I, I understand it. But it's a disaster. It's been a disaster yep. for so long. It's not competitive. It's not enjoyable. Um, when Dallas Braden, who I love and you love, is the best part of the Oakland A's franchise – that's not what you want, and he doesn't want that either. So it's it's really been very very off putting to see what they've done, and the fact that they're leaving more power more power to Las Vegas and baseball fans there. But let let's not let's not repeat it because it's it's really disgusting. It's awful.
1: Yeah, and you know uh, Dave Schoenfield was talking on the podcast the other day that the Athletics right now in the current trajectory might be the worst team in the history of baseball.
3: Which is wonderful. What a, what a great thing to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have a team that uh, issued 17 walks in that game against the Mets last Friday. It's embarrassing and it's terrible. Uh, a bleacher tweet uh, for you. Uh, Please rank these in order: most likely uh, or most likely to least likely to happen during this season. Judge hits at least 60 homers. Acuna steals at least 50 bases. The Athletics win at least 40 games, and Baumgartner starts at least 30 games all that's from our, our friend, Andrew De, DeSalvo. Uh, I'll start us off the least likely is Bumgarner starting 30 games. Yeah. Cause I think it's going to be a while before he's back in the Mount, Carl. Uh, yeah, how would no. you rank those in order? Least likely to most likely.
3: Least likely Bumgarner is not going to not, not likely to happen at all. Um, but again, the other part about it, the caveat to it, and I still think that's the least likely is, is a team desperately needs a starter and the, their injuries and, We've got to throw him out there, and that seems insulting to him, but that's, that's where he's at now. But look, Bumgarner goes out there. In, in a lot of ways, he's, he's south of Chris Sale, and Chris Sale had a great outing. But you're wondering, yeah. like, is there more? And I think in Sale's case, there is. In Bumgarner's, you need to, you need to do more. So I, I'd put him there. I think the 50 steals is a really hard thing for a guy who's still kind of getting those legs back as much as they're back. And I'm not sure that they're going to need that. I'd probably put him stealing 50 as the next least likely. I think he goes between 40 and 50. I think the A's winning 40 is the next least likely. And I think judge could easily hit 60.
1: Yep. Uh, No doubt about it. Last one for you. Give me a thought about Fernando Tatis Jr. Coming back. Uh, We talked so much about his offense, but in the end, made a great catch in last
3: night's game. And I think that's the underrated part of his return to the Padres, Carl. I think if you can put aside, if somehow you can compartmentalize what he did, you can get really excited about what he's going to bring. I love the dog. I love to see the dog. (laughs) Um, You can, you can put aside that then it's a really exciting thing. And look, I think we all recognize when you get to return after a long absence, hitting major league pitching, especially major league pitching that's not in the spring that's now into the season is going to be brutally hard. So, uh, you know, let, let's, let's pump the brakes on. He's he, he had an offer to start. Let's see, in you know, a two weeks where he's at. He's a mega star. He's talented as anybody and his defense is going to play. And Bob Melvin is the perfect guy. Uh, Bogarts is the perfect teammate. Machado's really good to have in that clubhouse to help usher him back. The bigger issue may be the guy hitting behind him. Um, Soto had another rough night last night at the plate, and they've got to figure out, because that top four is the best in baseball when it's right, and it's not close.
1: Yeah, I think he's fine Into you know, that we've had this conversation since he was suspended. You know, how are his teammates going embrace and coming back? I think they're past that. Like, yeah. I think he's reset. I think he's made his adjustments. He's made his piece. He's doing what they asked him to do to move to, uh, you know, corner outfield. And he's moving forward. And I agree with you. Now with Soto, let's see if, uh, you know, he can deal with the pressure of being that guy, getting off to this kind of a start after he didn't hit well for the Padres at Leander last year. All Right. right, Robbie, see you in San Francisco. All right, Buster. Look forward to it. See you guys.
0: This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah
1: Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Friday?
4: I'm doing great, Buster. You know why? The Cubs are at home. We have a game at 2.20 Eastern. We've got that Friday day game. I love it.
1: Uh, I, you're, you're right. Like, the whole day is reset, right? And i got to tell you, You know, living out here, mountain time zone in Montana, it's kind of cool because like that all starts even earlier. Like you're on the East Coast. You have to wait for East Coast time. (laughs) But, you know, my day midday is when I get to uh, to see the Cubs so that that uh, I'm looking forward to that the way you are. Uh, Before we get going, I mentioned at the top of the show, I was going to ask you for updates on some of the critical numbers we're looking at, you know, coming into the year with the rule changes If you can give me some updates on time of game, offense, stolen bases, that sort of thing.
4: Absolutely. So I actually want to start with the fact that if anyone is interested in all this, Baseball Reference put together a really great page on their site that updates every night that has a handful of these numbers. Uh, If you Google Baseball Reference 2023 rule changes, If you want to track an in-between podcast, anyone listening wants to do that, you can always grab it. Buster, I've always got you. But everyone else does not have the luxury of emailing or texting me to ask. So to answer the question, uh, average time of game for a nine-inning game right now was two hours, 37 minutes. It was three hours and three minutes last year and actually 310 the year before. Uh, Then to the base runner, honestly, I think the biggest thing that is coming to light here isn't even the amount of attempts, though that is up. It's about 0.9 per team per game, and it was 0.7 last year, so that's up slightly, of course, and uh, the number of stolen bases is also up, but that's really the point. The success rate is what is up, so it's 80.8% right now with 75.4% last year. And uh, something I learned when Tim LoCastro set a record for most consecutive successful stolen-based attempts to start a career is that stolen-based success versus not hasn't actually been tracked all time. So official stolen-based tracking stuff goes back per Elias. To 1951, that 80.8% success rate would be by far the highest in that span. So that's why I give that context. I think that is what we're really seeing. We are seeing more attempts. We're seeing more success for really what it is overall. It's just looking at the fact that 81% of the time, those are being successful. And then uh, the last question was offense, batting average, all of that. So this is the one where it's really not all that different. The league-wide batting average right now is 247. It was 243 last year, and if you remember, I didn't pull this up, but in April last year, it was historically low. We were talking about could this be the lowest batting average ever. All of that. So it's actually definitely up from last April, but overall, pretty close to what it was last year. Though we are seeing a handful more runs per game.
1: So let me ask you this. I've been thinking about this because I've seen stolen base, you know, everyone anticipated that the stolen base's numbers would go up and that maybe the percentages would go up in part because of the rules limiting the number of throws to first base. But most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we're seeing guys steal and be aggressive, Sarah. It's not after two disengagements. It's actually early on. And I kind of wonder if there's some humility within some of the front offices like, you know what? This has been an opportunity for us for a long time and we have been too conservative in our handling of this. Almost like a quality control check if I'm making sense.
4: Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And I also think that the effect of the disengagement role is almost a, a mental effect. I think, as you mentioned, yes. we've seen a lot of stolen bases where there were no throws, but it's almost like the pitcher feels they have to be very conservative, picking when am I going to throw? And then all of a sudden they haven't even thrown and the guy is off or the batter knows that the pitcher has to be conservative with those and take the advantage of it. So I think, yeah, I agree with you completely. I just don't think it's even about the act of the disengagement. It's almost it's like the psychological theory of mere presence in a way. It's just the existence of the role Changes the way people are approaching.
1: Yeah, I'm not smart enough to know what you're referring to, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I'll take your word for it. And I should acknowledge that you know part of this too is the size of the bases. They've gotten a little bit bigger, and maybe that's made the
0: players a little bit
1: more confident. All right, let's play the numbers game.
4: Number three. Number three is nine. So, Pete Alonso last night in San Francisco with his ninth home run of the season. That is tied for the most through 20 team games in Mets history with Dave Kingman in 1976 and Neil Walker in 2016 which I have to say I watched every game of the 2016 Mets I did not realize that Neil Walker got off to that great of a serve but you know he also indirectly is going to play into number one here so we'll come back to that number two Number two is six. So as I said to you off camera before we began, until the Rays are playing the way they're playing, we we're pretty much always going to have a race set. So they're headed home tonight, Friday. Another homestand, by the way. They still lost at home. And if they win another one or two there over the weekend, Even if they lose one, I will bring you the list of most consecutive home wins to begin the season. Gets a little long at 10, but if we get to 11 or 12, it's pretty exciting. Involves a Wolverines team. But the Mm sixth is for shutouts that they have this season. They play 19 games and they have six shutouts. That is tied for the most shutouts. In the team's first 19 games of a season in MLB history with the Rangers in 1981, Cleveland in 1966, the Tigers in 1945, and the St. Louis Brown Stockings in 1876.
1: And I would say, before t- Taylor, before we go to number one. Uh, Sarah, I think you made the Maroons famous, okay? And now it's the Wolverine. So let's uh, let's see how that goes.
0: Number one.
4: Number one is 27. So I mentioned Neil Walker before. The connection here is that he does a ton of Pirates games on TV now. Has been doing them at least for the last uh, two years. And his Pirates have hit. 27 home runs so far this year. That this tie poured the second most through 20 games in a season in Pirates history. In 2006, they also hit 27. The only Pirates team with more was in 1973, they hit, hit 30. And I know they just got back from course field. But plenty of teams get back from Coors Field and don't score nearly as many runs as they did in that series. And again, you don't get to 27 home runs only in the series at Coors Field. Their offense has been really, really good to serve. They're off to and above 500 starts. I know they're not going to win that division or make the playoffs it's been really fun to see them. And Andrew McCutcheon is hitting really well, which is just awesome to see because that was an emotional sort of uh, great to see him back signing. And those players don't always play well, but the fact that he is and he's kind of leading the charge with these younger guys, even with O'Neill Cruz hurt, it's really, really cool to see.
1: All right, speaking of the Pirates... I, I, You know I love to give you impossible choices, okay? So you can only pick one of these four teams and anoint them as being a real contender, okay? okay. I'm going to give you the Pirates or the Brewers or the Cubs or the Diamondbacks. You can only pick one team. What team is the most real in terms of being a contender in your eyes?
4: I think it has to be the Brewers because they've done it before. They've been there They were a team that, as we discussed, you know, Pocota picked to win the division. Most of us picked the Cardinals, but obviously with Corbin Burns being Corbin Burns. And speaking of offense, theirs has been really great. And as we discussed and you uh, surprised me with on the podcast, while back in the offseason, they had one of the better offenses last year as well. So, I mean, no disrespect to the other teams. Diamondbacks have been really, really fun to watch. And uh, obviously the Pirates and, I mean, everyone. But I think overall, if we're going to that, and again, the Cubs have also been exciting and surprising but i'll go with sort of the chalk and team that's done this before lately
1: all right and one bonus one for you should i bet the family farm on a, a reunion of your friend bruce Bochi and your guy madison bumgarner at some point
4: it seems like it i mean it feels like this comes down to would Baumgartner accept him in the league really field to sort of work his way up? of uh when there's a spot in that rotation? But I think that makes a lot of sense. I follow a lot of Giants fans on Twitter who I know want him there. I think him going to Bochy seems a little more realistic. Uh, but either way, I mean... I hope he's able to find summer and work his way back, if only because he's only 33 years old. I mean, we've been talking about and watching Matt Madison Baumgartner for so long. Obviously, he debuted as a 20-year-old, but it's wild to think that he's still so young, relatively in his career. You hate to see things end the way they did there, so I hope he gets a chance to uh, change the narrative, at least towards the end here.
1: And I would say uh, if there's a manager who could convince him to come back and work in a relief role with that slinging left-handed motion, it would be Bruce Bochy. Like, I think he might be the only one uh, who could actually do that with Bum. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Sarah, thanks for doing this.
4: Thanks for having me, Buster.
1: Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball visit vividseats.com or download the app today vivid seats experience it live for the ones who get it done Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer call click grainger.com or just stop by.
0: All right, Buster. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. We want to kind of dig into some of the uh, the gambling lines and trends and what the weekend is looking like, um, you know, with the proliferation of gambling. You know, I, I, I dabble a little bit. I'd imagine that you can't because you are a big no. journalist.
1: I absolutely don't bet, but I will tell you, I've had a lot of these conversations this year because my son, Jake, who mm-hmm. does not gamble, he doesn't actually uh, gamble money, but there are a bunch of sites where you can have uh, you know, you can sort of bet on things. And I'm putting it in air quotes. Right. And you can pick lines. And, and let's face it, I mean, they're they're essentially trying to appeal to anybody who eventually they can have bet. <laughs> uh, but Jake and I will talk through these on a daily basis. Like he loves doing the parlays and uh sort of sort of thinking about you know performance on a day-to-day basis. And they're kind of fun to do the over-unders.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I and I honestly, you know, you should definitely gamble responsibly, and it is a an extremely yes. slippery slope. Uh, I'm being a hundred percent serious, you know, having it on your phone and being able to to fire these things off. Um, but what I would say, it just is my approach is like you know your team better than most so I end up betting on my t- I know people don't like that because they're like oh then you're rooting for again like whatever but I think you know your team better than anyone else so like that is your advantage um in this space so in that vein I was looking at the Orioles run line tonight they are one and a half run favorites over the Tigers um that's at plus 115. I would take the O's there. Um, and if you want to, here's another one for and if you want to combine them here, Michael Renz and his over under for total hits allowed is five and a half. That's also plus 115. You bundle those together. I'm looking at DraftKings. DraftKings. We'd love if you uh, you came in here and, and sponsored a little segment for us. But uh, that single game parlay is going to get you to plus 255. So I'm going to lay a fiver on that. Um, and a couple other things I looked at. Um, the alternate lines are not out for tomorrow, but Rays White Sox. You got Shane McClanahan versus Dylan Cease on Saturday. The over under for that is seven. So that is a little bit low. But if you think these guys are going to come to play, um, the Rays are mashing right now, so that does uh, make things interesting, but you could look at the alternate lines. Um, I would probably, you know, maybe see what, what, uh, the number is on, on six for the total. And then Garrett Cole, he he's on fire right now. Check out his strikeout total. That's not posted yet for Saturday, but, um, you know, whatever that is, I, I might take the over on that as well. So uh, the one that jumped out to me that you mentioned, Michael Lorenzen, what's the over-under on the number of hits he allows? Uh, Five and a half.
1: Five and a half. And and look, Michael Lorenzen is one of the great people in baseball. You love his story. You love how competitive he is. You know, one of the – probably the closest thing baseball has to a 2A player other than Shohei Ohtani. But he is coming off some injury issues in his only start this year, four innings, eight hits, six Mm -hmm. runs allowed to the Giants – And a big question this time of year in terms of hits allowed for me is always the weather. Uh, According to the forecast today, 83 degrees uh, in Baltimore during the course of the day. It's going to be nice weather where the Tigers and the Orioles are going to be playing. So I would definitely take the over based on the fact that uh, he's still probably trying to find his command. That seemed like a safe bet to me. Does that uh, make sense to you?
0: That makes sense. And the Orioles, they didn't, while they pitched really well against the Nationals, the offense was – a little bit stagnant, so I do like them to bounce back here against the Tigers. The Tigers have been playing well, uh, so that should be taken into consideration. But I, I like the Orioles' bats at home. I'm I'm excited for this series. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight.
1: And Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikides, a researcher at ESPN, known on the show as the
2: Forgotten One. Hembo, how you doing this week? Buster, I could not possibly be better. My fingers, oddly enough. Not sticky, so I'm doing a little bit better than some. Well, I and mean, we learned if you're going to wash off, definitely don't wash off with alcohol. Okay, <laughs> we, we definitely, we
1: definitely learned that uh, as we go forward. Fernando Tatis Jr. returns to the San Diego Padres lineup. Hambo, what do you make of this? Um, DJ,
2: spin the wheel.
4: Can you hear
2: the drums uh, the dulcet tones of Baba. buster the operative question is actually can you hear the runs fernando buster and that's because fernando tatis is back and the padres need to score some more runs look this is a team this is a lineup built to outscore you and that is in large part because they have four potential hall of famers one two three four at least now that tatis is back here are the numbers Right now, they rank 25th in the big leagues, averaging only 3.7 runs per game. That's nowhere close to where this team needs to be, as you and I well know. And let's remind people that Fernando Tatis isn't just a good hitter. He is an historically great hitter for a player his age. Through the age of 22, it's an OPS plus of 160. The only hitters ever with a better mark through that age are Ted Williams, Mike Trout, Stan Musial, and Ty Cobb. That's the whole list. That's how great he is, and he is the only player ever to hit 80 homers and steal 50 bases within his first 300 career games. He's just got to stay on the field because when he does, he can hit that baseball across the Rio Grande. (laughs) (laughs) I I got a few. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I got a few things uh, to follow up
1: in this regard. Uh, First off, I've been watching during uh, spring training and during his minor league uh, rehabilitation assignment. He was drawing a ton of walks. You know, and you know, and I know that you don't usually see hitters make that particular jump from being an aggressive hitter to being a patient hitter. You know what? I think he might be an exception. I
2: think he might have that ability. What about you? I agree. I, I think he has literally any ability he chooses to exercise. He, he is—I believe him to be one of the very best athletes I have ever seen on a baseball field. Like when, when I watch him play, it reminds me of people like Ken Griffey Jr. It reminds me of like Odell Beckham Jr. If he played baseball, like he's that kind of athlete and who knows like with all this time that he's had off obviously a player as motivated as he should be in theory at, at this point to be able to turn this thing around should have been exercising all the things for which he might have found himself at a deficit he obviously hits the living crap out of the ball right tons of power but the on-base stuff is not something for which you would say was his calling card to get like 370 on base for his career i wouldn't at all be surprised if this is a guy who winds up walking 100 times a season and approaching 50 home runs i mean 42 homers in his in his most recently completed season as a shortstop now he's going to play the the outfield that 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 might be the path he goes buster a little bit more power and a lot more patience and look bob melvin is not a manager who's given to hyperbole uh
1: easily and so when he said to us you know week and a half ago talked about this being like a hurricane having tatis jr coming at the opposing pitcher to start the game to be followed by machado to be followed by Soto, to be followed by bogart's it's going to be a fascinating watch. I need to follow up on this with you, though. OK, mm. recently in watching uh, you as Mike Greenberg's sidekick on his radio show was established, you don't even know the four members of the Beatles. Where are you coming up with ABBA? There's no way that you know ABBA. Uh, I mean, If you don't know the Beatles, how are you going to know ABBA?
2: Okay, so I this is how it goes. So my, my my wife makes me watch movies. Mama Mia is one of these movies that she makes me watch, and I believe Mamma Mia to be the greatest horrible movie of all time. I actually enjoy it. <laughs> I find the music to be reasonably good. The, the Beatles stuff, man. Like this, this this is a longer conversation. Perhaps an entire podcast. I refuse to believe that the Beatles were as popular as old older people insist that they were. When I listen to their music now, frankly, I yawn. I don't need to know who these guys are. Wow. I know that they were famous, but as far as I'm concerned, these are this is a different lifetime ago. These are like Civil War generals. I might like if I know wow. it. Great. Right. If I don't know it, fine too. But that's just, this is how I feel about the Beatles, and this is how I feel about Abba. Oh, my God. I got to bring Taylor
1: and Sarah in for this. I mean, this is all organic. We didn't plan on any of this, but I got to get their feedback on this. I mean, Sarah just came from seeing Taylor Swift. But even she knows how great the Beatles were. Sarah, I mean, he's dismissing the Beatles. What is that about?
4: My dad is a huge Beatles fan, so he would be so disappointed. But I'm disappointed that you called Mamma Mia a bad movie, the greatest bad movie. It's just one of the greatest movies ever.
2: Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's right up there with, you know, Citizen Kane and A Shawshank Redemption yep. and all the other classics, right, Buster? Exactly.
4: <laughs> Casablanca.
2: Taylor. <laughs> Taylor, I need you to weigh in on this.
0: Buster, you know what's better than Strawberry Fields Forever? How about Ocean Avenue by yellow card? That pummels. (laughs) That pummels Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. You don't think Way Away isn't awesome? Mute
1: yourself, Taylor. It it trounces
0: yesterday. We need
1: to talk about some baseball. That's terrible. (laughs) I can't believe that two of the three others on this podcast right now are dismissing the Beatles. That makes no sense to me. All right, let's talk about Clayton Kershaw. Is he the greatest regular season pitcher ever? As I posited for Tim Kirchner in the
2: podcast yesterday. Yeah, I'm not going to add any music to this because I don't think it needs any. He might be Buster. He just And if might we be. did, it would be the Beatles. <laughs> it would be the Beatles. Fair enough. Uh, the Beatles who, who, who um, who, who, who played music when, uh, when Sandy Koufax was pitching and not Clayton Kershaw. Look, the numbers are staggering. He's the only live ball pitcher. Live ball pitcher. This dates to 1920 with 200 wins and an ERA below two and a half. His career ERA plus is 157. That's a stat for which 100 is average. His is 157. It's the best mark of any starter in history. It's 10 percentage points better than Walter Johnson, who's widely considered the greatest pitcher of all time. His career whip. Whip is my favorite traditional stat. How many base runners do you allow? It's one. It's exactly one. He allows one base runner per inning. The only pitcher ever with a better whip is Addy Joss. Addy Joss was born in 1880. He died of meningitis at the age of 31. That's how long it's been since someone uh, controlled the running game as well as Clinton Kershaw in that regard. And Buster, my last note here, and you should help me with a guess. What do you think the Dodgers' record is in Clayton Kershaw's last 162 regular season starts? Wow. Uh, I'm guessing it's 110 and 52. It's 119 and 43. Wow. This guy pitches, they win at Such an unbelievably historic clip. He is on the very short list of greatest regular season pitchers that ever lived.
1: All right, let's go a quick real or fake because I know you got to go. Uh, we've got, uh, we're have got. we going to run through three teams off to great starts, Cubs, Pirates, Diamondbacks.
2: So the Chicago Cubs, real or fake with this start? Yeah, I think this is real. They lead the National League in runs a game. And Buster, they, they're doing that. They've hit 21 home runs and stolen 22 bases. Let me underscore that. The best offense in the National League through three three weeks has more steals than homers. That's unbelievable to me. They also have done a really nice job of turning ground balls into outs, and they got a bunch of ground ball pitchers. I think this team is real. The Pirates, to me, are fake. They play the second easiest schedule in the National League, and the scoring output doesn't quite pass the smell test. They scored 33 runs in a three-game span over the Rockies at Coors Field. They're not going to pitch enough, but I do think they're on the upswing. And so are the Diamondbacks. But the Diamondbacks are fake, too. They're three games above 500 with a negative run differential. My concern here is that they have the worst walk differential in the league. Their, their pitchers have issued 47 more walks than they have had, than their, their offense has. That's an underlying metric that does concern me, not to mention the fact that division's going to come around and ultimately be a bear that i don't think they'll be able to overcome hembo thanks for doing this great to talk with you later friends get out
1: of here hembo, sick exactly of hembo. Right.
0: bleacher tweets already buster bleacher tweets for a friday uh let's go to jake rush at or at the jake rush madison bumgarner he asks a first ballot hall of famer
1: no Uh, I don't think so. I think, you know, he didn't have as much success in the regular season. Um, I think that he will eventually be recognized in the Hall of Fame because of that unbelievable postseason stuff that he he did in his career. I think it was in the the 2014 postseason, his total innings was something like 52 and a third, and the next closest guy was 26, among all pitchers with all teams. (laughs) It was crazy how great he was. Um, And let's face it, that's almost the end of the era where starting pitchers are relied upon as much as he was like that. That may never happen again. No Mm -hmm. pitcher. And I've had this conversation, I think, with Madison one time. I don't think pitchers will give uh, starting uh, managers will give starting pitchers an opportunity to be that great in that many innings because they just don't manage that way anymore.
0: Mm hmm. Michael Preston at McP1979 writes in, Hey, Buster, so Phil Cuzzy has been involved with all three pitcher ejections for sticky stuff. Uh, Why him, Major League Baseball, needs to get on the same page with this rule and how it is enforced. Unlikely that Cuzzy is just unlucky that they only use sticky stuff when he is on.
1: Well, and that's why I think Dan Bellino's voice, he was the other umpire who came out and essentially echoed what Phil said the other day. Uh, you know, and, you know, that it was the stickiest that we've ever seen with a pitcher that we've checked. It wasn't even close. Uh, of course, everybody remembers Dan, uh, and this is not fortunate for the umpires. Uh, Dan was the umpire who, when Madison Bumgarner came off the field last year and he was staring him down as he was checking his <laughs> yeah. hands, he wasn't even looking at his hands, you know, <laughs> and he wound up being sanctioned for that. Um, you wish it was a cleaner situation than it is, but here we are, you know. I didn't get your guys' take on the whole Scherzer thing. Uh Sarah, start with you and then Taylor, I want to hear from you right after. What did you think?
4: I mean, it's the rule. You know, at this point that they're gonna check you for sticky substances. So, like that I don't understand. And I am new to the world of sticky substances as we have learned, like I just learned about this fairly recently. And so um, I just think don't be dumb. You know it's the rule don't be dumb
0: i don't think that him washing his hands with alcohol was like a he thought it was like oh i'm doing the right thing here but really i feel like it just says like i had a whole bunch of rosin or whatever on my hands and i had to get it off so not the defense that he thinks it is well
1: and i heard from some people yesterday and rabbi may mention this like apparently if you wash off rosin with alcohol, it actually thickens it. So I, I don't know, <laughs> no. but I, if you guys agree with me, you, you guys agree with me, like enough with the private rosin bags. If you want to use oh, rosin, yeah. use it out on the field. The one they provide those out on the mound. And we're hearing about Domingo Herman. And, oh, I, I went back into the dugout and I have my rosin bag. Yeah, that's that's a slippery slope that Major League Baseball goes down if, if they allow that to happen.
0: Like, do they want to be checking, sticking their hands in all the rosin bags when the pitchers come out? Like, that's probably something they don't want to do either.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, at this point, is would anyone doubt that there might be a pitcher out there who their personal rosin bag might have a little dip- different composition of stuff? Come on.
0: Oh, uh, Garrett Cole's just going to forget about that bottle of spider tech. Oh, I was wondering where that was, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Smith at triangle choke writes in any insight into why there aren't cameras on foul poles at every major league baseball field. The angles that they show on replays aren't always helpful and a camera on the pole. Seems like it would make a difference. I feel like cost is probably the,
1: I can't imagine cost would be the issue. Jeff just cause now we see cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it feels like on Sunday night baseball, you know, we get the ump cam, uh, you know, you get cameras all over that. I, yeah. I, I don't think that would be it. I, I don't know if they're like, boy, We already have a thousand different replays, and we don't necessarily feel like we need another one.
0: Strap a GoPro to one of those things. There you go. Slate 2130. Okay, Buster, don't get me wrong. I am super excited that the Reds signed Hunter Green to a six-year extension, but couldn't we have kept Gray, and Castillo? I mean, those two paired with Green, Lodolo, and Ashcraft would have been the best rotation in baseball, no?
1: No. Well, the reason why they can keep Hunter Green to a multi-year deal is that he's relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're the Rays, you know, the Rays, when the Rays signed Zach Eflin, it was the biggest free agent deal in their history for any pitcher, $40 million. That's kind <laughs> of the, wa- those are the waters that the Reds are fishing in. So the idea that they were going to pay Luis Castillo $120 million or Sonny Gray, uh, you know, $75, 80000000 million, they're just, they're not going to do that. They're just, as a small market team, they're just not going to go that far. Brewers are in that same boat So to get Hunter Green locked in for $53 million at this stage, pretty good for them.
0: Corey Rukert at Corey R underscore 12 writes in any chance the A's owner sells after they move into the shiny new uh, Vegas ballpark and have a much higher value?
1: Yes, of course. I mean, that's the part that's kind of as as we say all the time about the tanking stuff. Look, you know, everyone focuses on the draft picks. Well, they're tanking because they want to pick at the top of the draft. No, that's not the primary motivation, and that's why these, <laughs> you know, these new rules put in place—they they don't make a difference. If teams want to tank, it's because they want to make a lot of money. They get a, you know, forty million dollar payroll. Uh, there's no expenditures on that. They get a, you know, money from the central front from from t- the television rights. He's making a killing with what he's doing here.
0: Danny Norlander at DL Norlander writes and Hey Buster does the A's move to Vegas to make a Salt Lake City team less likely?
1: No, uh because they still need one more team to be out west. Uh you know, the A's are essentially staying out west. Uh, on the baseball in the baseball geography, they need another team to help balance out the divisions, which is why uh, if I'm the betting person, first off, I think Nashville's a pay to comp play and I'm biased because I went I lived there for 8 years uh and I'm excited about that but I think the other team's going to wind up at Salt Lake.
0: Another uh, question from Corey. I didn't even realize I put it in here. You're getting the, the, the treatment today. Corey writes, is it clear now that the A's are tanking hard for a total reset for the 2027 Vegas arrival?
3: They're
1: tanking hard for the owner to make money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really that it's simple. It's very simple, That's everyone. what, and you back me up, Taylor, is an yeah. Orioles fan. People conflate, like when we can say on one hand, yes, the player development system for the Orioles is getting better. Yes, you know, they made good choice at the top of the draft. They've done a good job of that, but let's keep our eye on the ball. They're doing it to make a ton of money.
0: Right. Yeah. John Angelus not doing it out of the goodness of his heart. Um, and he's not signing anyone to extensions either. So that's another thing. Like right. when you're looking, that's a big thing. When you're looking at all of these pieces, like, oh, you know, like you just said, like they're making money. They're also improving the farm system. But if they're not also extending people and improving the team with outside assets, mm, something must be amiss now.
1: Right. That's what <laughs> you love. The red signing Hunter Green, because it's an indication that at least with the baseball ops, There is a larger plan to keep this team together. It feels like right now uh, the Orioles, the A's, we're not seeing that, right? And maybe it's with the A's because they just don't have a lot of guys who are going to be on the team
0: when they're actually competitively relevant. I will pass out if the Orioles uh, extend Adley Rutchman. Like <laughs> I just don't, um, I don't see it. But uh, well, I you didn't... will officially
1: get a Rutschman jersey, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, if he's here for for a long time. Can I bring up something? I did. I'm not going to go on an extended, uh, you know, rant here. But let, let's do this real quick.
3: I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, "I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this
0: anymore." Those White Sox alternate uniforms that look like the Red Sox uniforms. uh, There should be a rule in Major League Baseball, Buster. If you're wearing a uniform that you could take off and put onto another team without a single change, you should not be wearing that uniform.
1: Okay, I'm going to back you up. I'm going to give you another example. See if you guys agree with me. I'm going to give you another example. And look, I think the Minnesota Twins. I mean, they are a first-class organization. Absolutely love them. How do they land with a cap that looks like the Marlins cap? You get a brand new cap, and it looks so closely to the M of the Marlins that we were talking about that the other day. That makes no sense. Oh my God!
0: (laughs) Breaking news in my life. You looking at it? Yes. It's a it's a slick logo but it looks like the Marlins logo. Now, I don't know that this would totally fall under that rule I just established because they would have to change the colors. I mean, that's the thing about the the White Sox one is that the Red Sox could could hop in those tomorrow without a single stitch change. Um but this is pretty dang close, Buster. Stop stop copying off each other.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing too, like the Twins logo, the TC logo, that's one of the coolest logos in baseball.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: That's like the Cardinals changing off the birds on the bat thing, and you're like, what are you doing? Don't mess with the Twin Cities logo. I love that.
0: It just just hire Todd Radom. Easy situation here. Hire Todd to okay. do all your, your new logos, and then you don't have a problem because Todd's the best in the business.
1: That's right. He's a ch- chief executive of a weekly quiz, and he's also a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all over America, and it should be for all these teams getting new logos.
0: There you go. Take us out, Buster. We'll be back on Monday.
1: But before we go, so Monday, we're going to do Monday afternoon. Is that the plan? We kind of settled on a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's better than than waiting till Tuesday. People get eager. We had I can't, I can't remember who it was, but someone was complaining that he was uh plow, literally plowing the fields on his tractor and he was sad he had no baseball tonight podcast. to listen. Well, to.
1: if a farmer needs a podcast, this is a weird <laughs> place to come for that. OK, that's for sure. All right. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Sarah, Carl, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on uh, skin color is something we need to fight against. Every single day. And I got to mention, we refer to Hembo as the forgotten one. And I forgot to thank him in that uh, in my signature. So that that's just going to fit in with his narrative, guys.
0: Oh, you can't. His head is out of this world right now. I mean, he's he's a New York Times best selling offer. I mean, it's disgusting what's happening. We
1: need to send him off on a paternity leave or something like that. Like he needs some time away. Right to decompress.
0: Ah, get that guy out of here. I'm so sick of him.